The writer to the Hebrews tells us that after the children of Israel marched around the city of Jericho for seven days, on the seventh day, the walls fell flat after they shouted. And he tells us that this was an act of faith. And this is right after the children of Israel had entered into the promised land. You'll remember that God parted the River Jordan so that they marched in, millions of them, I suppose. And Jericho was the two miles from the place where they entered in. It was the first walled city they had come across. Now, 40 years before, they had sent spies into the land of Canaan for 40 days. You can read about it, Numbers 13 and Numbers 14. And the spies come back with this report of the promised land. They said it's everything he said it was. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. And they even brought back a huge cluster of grapes to show how uh, plentiful this land was. But they said in Numbers chapter 13, verse 28, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And the first city they saw was the city of Jericho. And um, archaeologists, if you can uh, trust that sort of thing, said that uh, in a dig that the wall was some 35 to 40 feet high. Now, can you imagine how imposing that must have been? This is from here to here is 14 feet, so it's over twice that. And can you imagine how imposing that wall must have been? But because of their unbelief, I mean, God brought them to be part of the Red Sea. He brought them out of Egypt, and yet they're afraid to enter the promised land because of what will happen to them. Well, the Lord said, because you did not believe me, for, the 40, for every day you spent in the land, you're going to spend a year in the wilderness. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness, marching back and forth. And now the 40 years have expired, and they are entering into the promised land. Now, perhaps you remember the story of the two spies that Joshua sent. They hid in a, the harlot Rahab's house in Jericho. And she hid them, and she received them, and protected them, and sent them out. And because of that, they were spared. And the Lord tells us that Rahab's actions was, were a picture of faith. Now, this story begins in chapter 5, verse 1. Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the, this, on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings, kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children, the children of Israel until they were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. Now, can you imagine how terrifying this was to these people? Um, probably a couple of million people. And God 
supernaturally made the waters divide, just like he did in the Red Sea, and they come in and camp right there as soon as they cross the river. Verse 2, at that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. You see, during that 40-year period, they didn't circumcise their kids. And now that they're back in the land, this begins once again. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males. Even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out, were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Now you'll remember, um, everybody that was over 20 that walked through the Red Sea died in the wilderness and did not come into the promised land because they didn't believe God. But all the people that were under 20 and the people that were born during this wilderness journey entered the land. The middle of verse 6, They obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land which the Lord sware unto their fathers that he would give us, a land that floweth with milk and honey, and their children, whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised, because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal. And to this day, and the children of Israel encamped at Gilgal, and kept the Passover. On the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they'd eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. They had experienced manna for 40 years. No more. They're in the promised land. Verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, I think he was by himself at this time, and he knew that the Lord told him to take Jericho. He knew that's what he was supposed to do, and he looked at this walled city, 35, 40 feet high, and Jericho had a spring within it. He could not cut off the water, and the time of harvest had already been. It was filled with grain, so he didn't know what to do. Uh, we can't starve them. We can't cut off their water supply. We can't get over this wall. What are we going to do? And I'm sure he was thinking, what are we going to do? God told us to take it, but I don't know what to do. Maybe he was troubled at this time. I think he was by himself. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold... There stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us 
were for our adversaries. Now, at this time, Joshua did not know who this man was, but he must have been some kind of imposing figure because he looked at him and he knew whoever side he's on, that side's going to win. He saw something in him, but he didn't yet know he was the Lord, but he saw this one with this He So he comes up with this question, verse 13, and he, he said, and he marked out for us or for our adversaries. Verse 14, and he said, neither, neither, neither. But as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. I don't take sides. I'm the Lord. Don't you love the power of that? I don't take sides. I've come as the captain of the prince of the Lord of hosts. This is the one that God exalted as prince and savior. He doesn't take side. He's the Lord. Why would he take sides? He's in absolute, complete control. Whose side are you on? Neither. I'm the captain of the host of the Lord. I'm the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't take sides. Our question is not, is he on my side? But am I on his side? That's the issue. And this is uh, supposedly a true story. I guess it is. Uh, somebody came up to Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. And they said, do you think the Lord's on our side or the other side? He said, I, I don't know. But I hope we're on his side. Now that is what is going on here. I hope we're on his side. Whose side are you on? Neither. I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. Now at this time, Joshua knows who he is. And Joshua, look at in verse 14, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. Now this is what everyone who sees him does. They hit the dirt. They fall on their face. And they worship. If I ever see who he is, I know that he is the object of divine worship. That's what he did. He hit the dirt and fell on his face. And look what he said. What saith my Lord unto his servant? Now, if I ever see who he is, I understand that what I have to say to him is of really no importance. What's important is what he has to say to me. What saith my Lord to his servant? I want to know what you have to say. It's kind of like Paul on the road to Damascus after he found out who the Lord was when he said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecuted. Lord, what would you have me do? We don't tell him what to do. We come to, I hope this is the way we come to the word of God. Not to prove what we believe. Well, look, this is in the script. I, I can prove what I believe from this scripture and that scripture. And we can, you can prove anything you want from the scriptures. That's not the way to approach the scriptures. What saith the Lord to his servant? I hope that's my attitude toward the word of God. What saith the Lord? to his servant. 
And look at the Lord's reply. Verse 15. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, same thing he said to Moses. Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And there's a reason it's holy. I'm here. Remember when the Lord appeared to Moses? Moses sees that side of the bush that burnt and could not be consumed. And maybe he didn't, he saw a bush on fire. He thought maybe lightning struck it and two hours later it's still burning. I don't know how long he watched that bush, but it was not consumed. And the scripture says he went to see this great sight and the Lord spake to him from that bush. I love to think of what that bush tells us. That bush didn't need the wood of the, um, the, the fire didn't need the wood of that bush, the energy that that bush, that wood provided to keep burning. This lets us know of the independence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has no needs. He's independent God. You think about how needy you and I are. He has no needs because he's independent God. He didn't need that wood for the fire to keep going. And that bush could not be consumed. The Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect humanity. He didn't, he consumed the wrath. Wrath didn't consume him. He utterly consumed the wrath of God. And the Lord speaks from that bush. And what's he tell Moses? Take your shoes off your feet. The place you're standing is holy ground. And I'm sure that Joshua at this time is trembling in fear. He knows he's in the very presence of the God of glory. And he hits the dirt. Verse 1, chapter 6. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out. And none came in. The gates had been closed. And I'm sure they felt protected at this time. They had water. They had plenty of food. They had 35, 40 foot high walls to keep people out. I'm sure they felt pretty secure. What are they going to do with us? I mean, the, the walls of the city were, in fact, very great and very high. And the Lord said unto Joshua, verse 2, and I believe this is when he was speaking with the man with the drawn sword. That's the man who's speaking to him at this time, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord said unto Joshua, See, I will give you Jericho. Doesn't say that, does it? See, I have given unto thy hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of of valor, Not I will give, but I have give, given. And that's spoken in the perfect tense and already completed action. Already done. The victory has already been accomplished. Now, when Christ wills something, it's done. It's completed. 
even if it hadn't been done yet. It's already completed. Before it happens, there are no contingencies because it's already done. I love that scripture, the lamb that will be slain. No, the lamb having been slain from the foundation of the world, already completed. Now, Hebrews chapter 10, turn with me there, Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. That's quoted in Psalm, from Psalm 40. This is the Lord Jesus speaking upon his incarnation. Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, the first covenant of works, that he may establish the second by the which will. We are sanctified through the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's true of every believer. Through the offer, because of God's will, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, everybody he died for, every believer is sanctified once for all. This is nothing that grows or becomes increases. It's a complete, perfect sanctification by the will of God. Now, does Romans 8, 29 through 31 say anything less? Listen to this. Whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. Already done. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Even our glorification is spoken of as having already taken place. Child of God, stop worrying. Your salvation has already been accomplished. It's done. When he said it is finished, it was finished, wasn't it? Near so near to God, nearer I cannot be. For in the person of his dear son, I'm as near to God as he. Dear, so dear to God. Dearer I cannot be in the person of his dear son. I'm as dear to God as he. Now this is a completed. He didn't say, I will give you the city. He said, I have given you the city. All that you're ever going to have, you already have through Christ. That's faith. Verse 3, he says, And you shall compass the city, all ye men of war. Go round about the city once. This shalt thou do six days, and the seven priests shall bear before the ark 
seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man before him. Now here he gives the instructions as to what they're going to do. How the city is to be defeated. For, four, for six days in a row, the armies of Israel would march around the city one time. They would have with them the Ark of the Covenant. And the priests would be before the Ark of the Covenant with seven, seven priests with ram's horn. You know, when I was a kid, we actually had a ram's horn. I don't know where it came from, but you could blow into that, and the, the, the sound it would make. But they would blow into these ram's horns. They didn't say anything. But they would march around the city six days, and they had the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, oh, what a glorious uh, type of the Lord Jesus Christ made of gold and wood. The wood, the perfect humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gold, the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's fully God. All that God is, He is because He is God. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's why He's able to save because of who He is. Perfect humanity. The wood represents his perfect humanity. The two natures of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two separate natures in one person. Fully God. Perfect deity. Absolute deity. Perfect humanity. What a glorious Savior. Now in that, uh, uh, on the inside of that ark, there were three things. You can read about this in Hebrews. It's also uh, spoken of in Numbers. There was Aaron's rod that budded. You remember that? Just, just a, a, a staff that didn't have any roots, didn't have any life, but it budded having life. Christ our life. That's my life before God. Christ our life. And there was a pot of manna. I don't know how it stayed uh, without rotting, but it did, and it was, it was in there all the time, the pot of manna, Christ our sustenance. We feed off him. We eat him. That's, he's, our, he's our necessary food. We must have him. And there was a copy of the law, Christ our righteousness, the one who kept the law. Now, you had the Ark of the Covenant, the seven priests, and all they did, there was no talking going on during this time. Just the blowing of the ram's horn. Same note. Representing the preaching of the gospel. And how eerie and unnerving must this have been for the people in Jericho. Here they come again. They march around. They look at the Ark of the Covenant. They look at the priests, the, the ram's horn. And they go back. Six days. Now I dare say they probably felt somewhat secure. I mean we have this big wall and we got plenty of water and plenty of food. I don't see how they're going to do this. But it must have been eerie to hear that marching, hear no, no speech, and then the shrill blast of that ram's horn. And then they go back to the camp, six days. And then on the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times. 
seven the number of perfection. And they were to blow the ram's horns and then shout. Can you imagine what this shout must have sounded like? And the walls of the city would fall flat. And this is what's going to happen. They knew that ahead of time. Now let's go on reading verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets and the rearward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth. Until the day I bid you shout, then you shall shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city going about at once, and they came into the camp and lodged in the camp, and Joshua rose up early in the morning. And the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rearward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on blowing with the trumpets, And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp. So they did six days. Verse 15. And it came to pass on the seventh day. That they rose early about the dawning of the day. And compassed the city about the the same manner seven times. Only on that day they compassed the city seven times. Not just one time, but seven. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord will give you the city. No. The Lord hath given you the city. The walls came down. Now, in the preaching of the gospel, that shout The walls come down. I love what Paul said. The pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Any thought you have that may be contrary to the obedience of Jesus Christ being your righteousness before God, get rid of it. It's wrong. Every thought is to be brought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ being my personal obedience before God, the righteousness and the merits of Jesus Christ. Now, they shouted the shout of victory before the walls were flattened. And that's what faith is. I believe that I stand before God because of the work of Christ in my behalf. I believe I stand before God sinless. 
having never sinned. Perfect in the merits of Jesus Christ. And I can't see it. In my experience, I don't see it. But I believe it. Isn't that what faith is? Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Before the walls came down, they gave the shout of victory. And the walls came down. Now, did the sonic boom of the shout cause the walls to come down? No. God caused the walls to collapse. Question. Would they have come down without this shout? No. No. But understand this, strictly speaking, it's not my faith that saves me. I want to say this carefully, but I want you to understand this. The walls didn't come down because of the shout, but the walls wouldn't have come down without the shout. Strictly speaking, and may the Lord enable me to say this the way it ought to be said, my faith didn't save me, Christ saved me. I believe that. Faith did not stand as my surety before time began and take full responsibility for my salvation. Jesus Christ did. He's my surety. My faith didn't become incarnate and keep God's holy law perfectly in my behalf. Christ did. My faith, let me repeat this. My faith didn't keep the law. Christ did. My faith was not nailed to a cross bearing my sins. My faith couldn't do that. It was Christ who was nailed to the cross as my sin-bearing substitute and put away my sin. My faith didn't do that. Christ did. My faith didn't satisfy the justice of God. My faith didn't satisfy God. Christ did. My faith didn't die. Christ did. My faith was not raised from the dead. Christ was. My faith isn't in heaven right now interceding for me as my representative. Christ is. My faith's not coming back for me. Christ is. I'm not going to be perfectly conformed to the image of my faith. <laughs> I'm going to be perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. Faith believes that. You believe that? Before God, do you believe that? That's what faith is. Faith believes God. Shout the victory. You've already got it. They shouted the walls came down flat. Verse 
16, it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that were sent. That's what we're going to consider next week, Lord willing. And look what he says. And you, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed when you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, if you go on reading into John chapter, or Joshua chapter 7, remember uh, how Ai defeated them, a very small uh, city, overwhelmed them, and it was because someone had taken the accursed thing. Well, what is the accursed thing? A Babylonish garment and a wedge of gold. The covering of the religion of Babylon. You take that accursed thing and you'll be cursed along with it. But all the silver, verse 19, but all the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. But don't you take that Babylonian garment. Babylon, false religion, the garment, the covering of false religion. Don't take that. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city and every man straight before him and they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. Everything that was breathing was put to death. Everything. Now, this has something to do with putting to death the flesh. Put to death any hope of your flesh doing anything in salvation. That's what it means to put to death the flesh. You put to death any hope. Destroy, stab, get rid of any hope that would, that, that would come for your flesh. If my fingerprints is on, or, or on it, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Put it to death. And that's what is... Being represented. Verse 22, And Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she had as you swear unto her. Now remember, this woman, this harlot, is in the genealogy of the Lord. Uh, she was the great-grandmother of King David. And the Lord preserved her and spared her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp and they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord and Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had and she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. 
And Joshua jured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up the, or buildeth the city of Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame noised throughout all the country. By faith, the walls came down. Not by their military exploits, by faith. It wasn't the power of the voice that brought them down, but faith. May the Lord give you and I this same faith. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for the gospel of your son. How we thank you that salvation is what you have already accomplished. And there's nothing for us to do. Enable us to shout the shout of the gospel and know that you'll use it to bring the walls down and cause us to have every thought to be brought into captivity to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless this message for your good and our glory. Or our good and your glory. In Christ's name we pray.